0: Patience. Um, It's an honor and a privilege for me to be here. I am very grateful for the chance to speak to you. I pray that God will give us wisdom. (coughs) Excuse me to understand His words. In the hymn we sang this morning, "Give me the Bible." It says, "Give me the Bible. All my steps enlightening. Teach me the danger of the realms below." that hymn is a sermon in itself because there are wonderful light, there is wonderful light to be given to us in the Bible and we need to draw this light every day. Uh, It's like the Bible is like sunshine. The sun comes out in the morning, it shines all day and then it goes down. Now the next day you need more sunshine because yesterday's sunshine is gone. It's a billion miles away by now. It's traveled off into the distance, so we need, just as we need new sunshine every day, we need new light from God's word every day. The hymn we sang goes on to say, teach me the dangers of the realm below, and I believe that we are living in very, very challenging times. I asked the pastor not long ago, I said, he was alive during World War II and the Korean War. And World War Two is really a horrible war. There were at least at least twenty million people died during World War Two. Maybe much more than that. We'll never really know. In Yugoslavia, for example, one person in nine died during the war uh, with Germany. So it was a really serious war. And but I asked the pastor, I said, Are things more difficult? Or were they more difficult during World War II, or are they more difficult now? And he says it's much more difficult now, because no one knows where we stand. We don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how our people are going to react. He considers the times we're going to be much more difficult. And I I kind of have to agree. Um, I believe there are very grave dangers that we're facing today, and... Recently, I found a book in a used bookstore called The Dangers of Contemplative Prayer. Have any of you heard of contemplative prayer? Okay, a few of you have. And as I was reading this book, I was really shocked to see what all it involved. Now, I have a, a boss, my, one of my managers at the dental school, believes in contemplative prayer. And he gave me a series of tapes to listen to. I listened to a few of them. And it sounded like complete baloney to me because what you're supposed to do is... He went to these seminars where they give you this medallion and it has two sides. And one side is like the sun shining and the other side is kind of dark. And you turn the dark side out and when you're in contemplative prayer and everybody's supposed to leave you alone. Nobody's supposed to talk to you. And you go out and you're supposed to pick out something like a lizard and just contemplate this lizard, okay? And I mean, it was really strange. But it goes on to say that contemplative prayer, one of the things you have to do in contemplative prayer is empty your mind. Now, God has given us the the ability to think, which is an incredibly precious gift. I mean, I actually have to think at work because I have problems that I've never seen before, never heard of, never... I don't know anyone who's solved them before, and I have to come up with a way to solve these new problems. And I feel like the Lord blesses me with the ability to think through the problem and to solve it. So when I go to work, I feel the Lord is blessing me every day in solving problems. And so I rely on the ability to think clearly. But in contemplative prayer, one of the things they teach you is you chant a word. Now, they say use a religious word like Jesus or Father. And every time you start thinking of something, you say, Jesus, Jesus. And you repeat it over and over again until you stop thinking about whatever it was you were thinking about. And you keep chanting this word until you're not thinking about anything more, and then they say the presence of God can come in and speak to you. Well, actually what you're opening yourself up to in times like that is you're opening yourself up to demon possession when you turn your mind off. Now, I want to look at the definition of prayer. I looked it up in the dictionary on my computer, and it said, Prayer is a solemn request for help or an expression of thanks addressed to God. And it says, or it's an earnest hope or wish. Now, it derives from the old English word, old French word, prière, which means obtained by entreaty. In other words, you're pleading, you're begging, you're entreating someone. And so it has a number of definitions. But I have my own definition, and I'm going to call it a tentative working definition of prayer. And that's any communication in any appropriate form with God, which has effects or consequences or results. Although the results may be negative, Lord, God may say no. But when we're involved in communication with God, I want to call that prayer of some kind. Now, it's important for us to go back to the Bible to see what prayer really is because the people that are teaching contemplative prayer are saying that you have to empty your mind and do chanting. Now, where does this this policy of chanting, saying the word Jesus over and over again or Lord over again until your mind is quiet, where did this originally come from? In the Far East, like uh, I believe, I'm told, among the Hindu religions, they practice chanting. And they will say a word like, Aum. And they'll just keep repeating that over and over again until their mind is blank. And when you're practicing contemplative prayer, you're practicing, actually, in ancient Hindu religions that go back thousands and thousands of years. It is not Christian. Now, One of the reasons that this concerns me so much is that I'm hearing very strange doctrines being preached in Protestant churches and even in the Adventist church. Um, A few years ago, we had our adopted daughter come, Shoshana, and we went to the church at Loma Linda. It's called, uh, for the church they have for young people, Advent, not Advent Hope, but... um, Relive, yeah, Relive. And we we walked into the room and the lights were all turned down dark and they had a stage with drums and rock and roll guitars and they had spotlights on them and the lights were changing and there was, it was like a discotheque. It was really creepy and it was dark and it was, the music was so loud that you couldn't talk to the person next to you. I mean, it was like being in a discotheque. And We were there for about 15 seconds and Shoshana said, this is really creepy. Let's get out of here. So we got up and we left. Um, And so we're seeing some strange things going on, even in the Adventist church. Now, in the Bible, it says, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want them, want to hear. And I think that's exactly what we've done. We've surrounded ourselves, at least some of us, with teachers that tell us what we want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you... Keep your head in all situations, enduring hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now each of us has a ministry to perform. God has a work, a calling for us. And I think that that each of us are different. Mary Angeline is called in a sense to be an administrator. And my wife has a she's a what I call a kitchen crusader. She likes to uh, cook and, and kind of help people to come together and relax, and she's really good at it. And all of you have different gifts. Uh, the Nicola's have the gift of hospitality. They're always taking care of somebody. And, so all, and I won't go through all of yours here, but each of you has a different gift, a different ministry to perform. Uh, Crystal is a really good teacher. I really enjoy her Sabbath school classes. She's got brilliant insights into the Bible. They're very illuminating. Um, So each of us has our, our own ministry that we must discharge. It says, discharge all of your duties of your ministry. Now, Paul goes on to say, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. It's a battle, it's exhausting, but it needs to be done. Now, in order to recognize false forms of worship and false prayer, we need to study what prayer is in the Bible. And using my tentative definition of any communication with God is a form of prayer I want to go back and look at the Bible and see what the Bible says about how do we communicate with God. And one of the first communications is in the book of Genesis in the second chapter where God talks to man. And he's, the first recording we have of his directly communicating, it says, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, he's giving us instructions, things to do, things not to do, and we need to follow them. And he goes on to say, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And I personally can attest that he's done that certainly for me, and I have a very suitable helper because she takes really good care of me. Um, When I, I think I've told you this before, but. When I, I didn't get married until I was um, into my 40s, and my mother said, you know, you're old enough to get married now. <laughs> and uh, you need someone to take care of you because you cannot take care of yourself. That was my mother's assessment of the situation. So the Lord found a wife who takes really good care of me, and I'm very grateful for that. But the Lord has different ways of communicating and providing for us. Later on in the Bible, the Lord communicated with Noah in Genesis chapter 7, verses 1. Genesis 7, verse 1. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you every kind of animal, male and its mate, and also every kind of bird, And seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wipe out from the earth every living creature that I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded. So there's this communication. And in this case, Noah's job is to listen. He's to hear. And he did all that the Lord commanded. So the first instances of God communicating with us In the Bible, is giving us instructions, commandments, and guidelines, and showing us what to do. And we should sort of expect that in our communication with God, God is going to guide us and show us what to do. And He does that sometimes by speaking as He did to Noah, but sometimes He does it by the written word of God. The written word is His record of how he's communicating in the past. And it's really important that we take this seriously. That's why I chose this hymn, Give Me the Bible, as our opening hymn. Later on, um, after the flood, the Lord said, I will establish my covenant with you in Genesis 9, starting in verse 11, Genesis 9. This will be the sign of the covenant. I'm making with you. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between you and between me and you and all living creatures. Never again will the waters flood to destroy all life. And so God's making a promise. And he says, he puts it up there to remind himself. Now, I don't think God has is absent-minded like I am or have amnesia, I think he's doing it for our benefit to say, look, I've made a promise. This is a sign of the promise. And it goes on to say later on, it says that as long as the earth endures, neither, there will always be summer and winter, planting and harvest and The earth, as long as the earth shall last. So he's making this covenant with us. So later on, the Lord speaks with Abraham and he says to Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to a land I will show you. He didn't describe it to them. He said, I want you to go there. I'm not telling you about it now, but trust me. In other words, there's a great deal of faith involved in prayer because God's asking you to do things that you can't see the future of. And he goes on to say, I will bless. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now, the next one of the next prayers we find is the prayer of Daniel And Daniel's praying to the Lord, and there's an element. How would any of you summarize Daniel's prayer, those of you that remember it? If you had to describe it, how would you describe Daniel's prayer? Well, it was a very humble and contrite prayer. It wasn't a boastful prayer, but he starts out by saying, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O oh Lord, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who you spoke, who spoke in your name, to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah, And the men of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. So this was a very humble prayer. He wasn't boastful at all. But I think that really important prayers have an element of humility in them. Daniel says, we have sinned and we have not obeyed you. I don't hear prayers like that very often. But I think we need to be praying like that much more. If we look at another prayer, Solomon's prayer, this was a really interesting one because we always think of this as Solomon's prayer. But when you read through the passage, it starts off by saying, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. So he wasn't following the Lord fully faithfully. And he did some other things too, like he married foreign wives, which led to the corruption of the kingdom. But anyway, at Gibeon, The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. So Solomon's not actually praying here. He's dreaming. This is a prayer you could say where God is speaking to him and telling him what to pray. It says, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And the Lord, God said, ask whatever you want me to give you. What would you like? In this prayer. So God initiates his prayer and says, what would you like? And Solomon answered again. Remember, this isn't a dream. You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. Most of the time. That's OK. Well, anyway, this is what Solomon prayed. <laughs> Uh, You have continued this great kindness to him and given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father, David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. And I think this is another very humble prayer, and we need to be praying more humble prayers like this. You can't be praying humble prayers when you've emptied your mind because you're not in a position to confess your shortcomings, your weaknesses, your sins. I think good prayers need to start with an element of humility in them. Um, You'll notice that Daniel was praying on the behalf of his fathers. He said, we, our fathers, our princes, our people have sinned against you. And sometimes we need to be praying for our fathers and admit that everything isn't quite the way it should be. And so Solomon goes on to say, Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count. So give your servant a discerning heart, to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Now it goes on to say, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Now, can he be dreaming anymore? I think he probably woke up, I suspect. It says the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. So the God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not long life or wealth for yourself, nor asked for the death of your enemies, but you've asked for discernment and ministering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And Solomon was said to have been the richest king that was ever lived. There were... It says gold was used during his reign like other kings used silver. And he had hundreds, perhaps thousands of chariot horses. My dad was an amateur archaeologist, and he said that they've discovered stables in Palestine and Israel that held hundreds of horses in these stables. And he couldn't imagine my father, the archaeologist, How could anybody have afforded to keep hundreds of horses and feed them and take care of them and train them? I mean, that was a very expensive undertaking. So God really did bless Solomon. And I've personally learned a secret about prayer. When I'm praying for myself, Lord, I want this, I need this, um, the Lord doesn't always answer those prayers. In fact, Sometimes he does. We were praying for a house, and he answered that prayer in, in miraculous ways. But a lot of times when I pray for things that I want, he doesn't answer them. But when I pray to be a blessing to other people, how can I help this person? How can I help this patient? He answers those prayers, and he does it frequently. I mean, just this week on Thursday... We had a patient come in through patient relations. Now, when we have a patient come in through patient relations, it's mean it's a problem patient. This is a patient that had been expelled by the school. We didn't want to see them anymore. They had created problems. They were very unhappy. And they assigned this patient to a sophomore dental student who was just coming up on the clinic and had no experience. And, had n- and when the patient came in, He had a denture that didn't fit. It never fit when it was made. He was very unhappy with it. He'd been seen by two other students. They couldn't do anything to help him. There was two prosthodontists that looked at him. They couldn't do anything. And they just kind of, they couldn't see anything wrong with the denture. And so they said, well, we can't help you anymore. Go away. Now, but the patient came back a year and a half later, and he was still unhappy, and he was not wearing his denture. Now, after a year and a half, your your anatomy changes, your face changes, and now it's even less likely to fit. So he comes in, the student comes up to me and goes, what do I do with this unhappy patient? I start praying, Lord. I mean, I do it silently. Say, these, Lord, show me what to do. And so he came in, and I looked at his denture, and I noticed it was a metal framework. In the middle of the framework, it was slightly open, and he said he was getting food under the pallet where it was open in the, in the middle of the pallet. It was a horseshoe-shaped denture. And I looked at that, and I said, it's open there. Maybe the acrylic in the back of the denture is too high, and it's lifting the denture up so it's opened up. So I put some pressure-indicating paste on it, and I estimated where I thought it might be high, and I started grinding away. And I w- I'd never done anything like this before. I was not grinding it off evenly. I was just grinding it off on one side because I assumed it was tipped, and I needed to tip it back up. It was tipped down. I needed to tip it up. But it was. I assumed it was only tipped up in the back. So I ground it down, and I put it in. I spent about, I don't know, all told, I spent an hour and a half grinding on this denture because I had to grind on the metal framework too because the metal framework was in the way. We put it in, and he goes, "Feels good, yeah. That's yeah, much much better." And so I just kind of <laughs> breathe a sigh of relief. But this sort of thing happens to me on the clinic all the time. I feel like patients come in with problems that two or three other Doctors have looked at two or three other students. Nobody can tell it. And I'm like praying, Lord, show me what to do. I don't know what to do. You know, I've never seen this before. I've never seen this patient. I don't know what's going on. And he'll show me exactly what to do. He showed me. It's like, okay, the problem is that the acrylic's too high, but only in the back. So just grind it off in the back. So I ground off a lot in the back, a little bit in the middle, and none in the front so that I could change the angle of the denture. And this sort of thing happens a lot. And it's really fun to work on patients because they can come in and you can solve their problems. And it's not just for... The Lord doesn't just bless dentists. He blesses homemakers and farmers and everybody. I think he gives everybody gifts and blesses us in various ways. But if we have all the answers... I don't think he's going to give us any more, if we think we have all the answers. I had a prosthodontist tell me, look, when you have a problem with the denture and you really don't know what to do, just call me. And I said, I didn't say this to him, but I thought to myself, I think you're confused about who you are. When I have a problem with the denture and I have an idea what's wrong, but it's going to be a little bit hard to implement, I'll call you. But when I really don't know what to do, I start praying. And I think there needs to be humility in our prayer. And you'll notice that in prayers, I think there's some secrets to prayer. Number one, we need to be humble. We need to confess our faults and sins. And we need to be praying to be a blessing to others. I think when we're praying prayers to be a blessing to others, God, in my own experience, he answers those prayers, and he answers them every day, and it's it's wonderful. Now, what's maybe the most famous prayer in the Bible, at least from my perspective? I think it's the prayer that Christ taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer. And let me read it to you. Christ himself said, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward already. They're not going to get any more. They're going to get the praise of men, and that's all they're going to get. But he says, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, notice what it says. It says, go to a quiet place, shut the door, pray to your father. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, notice there's a conversation going on. You're praying, you're communicating, you're presenting your request, your petitions, your entreaties to the Lord. You're not emptying your mind, okay? Now the the um, contemplative prayer people use this passage and they twist it around. They say when it says, "Go into your room to pray and shut the door," and your Father who is in the secret place. Now they take that and they say it means the secret place is the place of absolute silence in your mind. The secret place is a place in your mind where it's silent, where the, where the world has been turned out. So they're kind of twisting this passage to mean something it does not actually say. So you need to be really careful when you listen to people who promote contemplative prayer. Now, the next line, it says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Now what does contemplative prayer teach you? You keep repeating Jesus. Jesus. Every time you start thinking of anything. Like if your spouse has cancer. or And you're praying for them. You're not supposed to think. That your spouse has cancer. Or that your spouse is sick. You're supposed to put those thoughts out of your mind. And God will put new thoughts into your mind. Well. I think that's really dangerous. It's. God doesn't demean our concerns he doesn't belittle our our worries and our fears he wants us sometimes to be courageous and and be faithful but he doesn't ignore us what we request but it's ironic that in the lord's prayer when he says do not use vain repetitions Contemplative prayer people do exactly that. They, they recommend using vain repetitions. So you need to be really careful about these new theologies that are coming. Christ goes on to say, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. And remember when Jonah went to Nineveh and the Lord said, I have a message for Nineveh. In 40 days, if you don't repent, you'll be destroyed. So Nina, Jonah preached the message. They repented. And the city was not destroyed. Jonah was upset. He goes, I knew you'd do this. I knew you'd forgive them. How could you do this? Now, Jonah did not like the Assyrians because the Assyrians would come in with their army, they would go into a village or a city in Israel, and they would burn the village down, kill all the men, carry the women and children off, plunder and destroy the city, and no one be left alive in the village. And so he was not very fond of the Assyrians. And he, how could you forgive these people? He was upset, you know. But the Lord was talking to Jonah, and he said, Jonah you know, don't you have any mercy for these people? There's, it's such a big city, it takes two days to walk across it. And he goes, and think of all the animals and the, and the creatures in this city, too. So he was trying to teach Jonah to be compassionate. Sometimes when we pray, the Lord is trying to teach us a lesson, too. Sometimes when I pray, I pray, Lord... My enemies are multiplied around me. I'm kind of being dramatic here, you know. Everyone is against me. The world is against me. And I'll be praying like this for a while, and the Lord will say to me, get over it. (laughs) You know, it's like, so was Jesus' life any better? Did he have it any easier? Did anybody, did David? David was being chased around by an army most of his life. You're a lot better off than he is, you know. And so sometimes when we pray, the Lord has to kind of correct us and rebuke us and to get us to realize that things aren't quite as bad as we think they are. Now, sometimes things really are bad, but uh, the Lord takes those prayers very seriously. Now, it's already 20 after and we need to wrap it up because I smell some really delicious lasagna warming up in the oven and I think... All of us are getting hungry. So I'm going to wrap it up. But I've presented different prayers from the Bible as a pattern for the how we should be praying ourselves. And each of these prayers, some of them were from God to man, some were from man to God. Remember, I'm defining prayer as communication between man and God in either direction. And when someone t- comes to you and is going to teach you a new method of prayer, Go back to the Bible and say, does this new method fit into the biblical pattern? And if it doesn't, you need to say, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Because there will be great deception in the last days. Things are going to get really hard. It seems to me we're throwing out the old ideas of doing things. I mean, I was at school yesterday and... One of the problems that they noted in our charting system is that the students aren't soaping things up. How many of you know what soaping means? OK. It's subjective. What does the patient say? Objective, what did you see? A is what's your assessment or your conclusions? And P is what are you planning to do? And it doesn't need to be long. It can be one line for each thing. But you need to put something in there. And the students aren't doing this. so. I said to the student, I said, you haven't even written down the cha- patient's chief complaint. What if somebody reads through this chart? They'd never know why the patient came in. The student goes, Why do I need to put that in? I know what it is. The patient knows what it is. I said, You're not the only one working on this patient. Other people are going to be reading this chart. You need to know it. And it's like, and I said, How come you didn't soap up? And he goes, Well, I've done, I've done six exams. This is my sixth exam. And you're the first doctor that ever asked me for it. So I assumed it wasn't important. And I was like in shock. You mean nobody else, nobody ever asked you why the patient came in and you didn't have it documented? So it's almost as if the old s- things that work, the old prayers that work, the old methods of interviewing patients the things that worked in the past we're throwing them out we have some newfangled way of doing things and i think these newfangled ways are really dangerous in the bible i'm going to close with a, a rough quote from jeremiah it says look for the ancient paths look for the old roads and walk therein and you will find peace for your soul So I think we need to remember that, that there are old, tried and true ways of doing things, and we need to follow carefully the instructions that God had given us. May God bless you one and all, and may God bless you abundantly. Thank you for your attention.